0: Well, this morning, uh, we're kicking off a new sermon series, and as we kick it off, I want to introduce you to a, a little book some of you probably have never, never seen before. Uh, many of you know Thomas Jefferson, um, one of the founding fathers, third president of the United States, founder of the University of Virginia, major writer of the Declaration of Independence, but you may not know, he also wrote uh, another little book which is commonly known as the Jefferson Bible. You might not know, he kind of wrote this own little edition, which is his account in the title of the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And now what's unique about this book is Jefferson, he didn't like put his own thoughts and like words. He didn't write down his own words in here. Instead, he took the Gospels, the the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, And he went through his Bible with a razor blade and he cut out some verses and he pasted them into another book, which is this book, which is his kind of compilation of Jesus's life. And so I want to read from you from the very first page this morning as he's uh, uh, recounting Jesus's whole life and he's cut these different verses. Here's what he begins with. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. And when they performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So I want to ask you this morning, did you notice what he cut out with his razor blade? Did you notice what what he's included here uh, of the birth of Christ and what what has been left behind? Now maybe the the slide behind me gives you a little bit of a clue. But if you notice in here, he doesn't include any of the miracles that very first Christmas. There's there's no talk of a star guiding wise men. There's no angels. There's no dreams, there's no prophetic words, there's no mention of of the Holy Spirit. No, no, instead in his attempt to distill down the message and ministry of Jesus, he's really left behind all the miracles. And at the end of his account of Jesus' life, you'll find Jesus is is in the tomb. There is no, no resurrection. See, Jefferson was living in a day and age of what's called the Enlightenment. And and he was one among many people who thought, you know what, a lot of the miracles and the supernatural stuff of faith, you know, those are kind of uh, relics of the past and reasonable and rational people should probably kind of leave those behind because at times they can kind of be embarrassing to explain to people and to explain to your friends, you know, you kind of believe all of that different stuff. And so with his his version of, of Christmas, there's a version of Christmas and really a version of Christ and his ministry Without all of these supernatural things, it's, it's Christmas without the miracles. And I, I think a lot of times people in our culture kind of still, still kind of agree with, with this approach to Christmas. I mean, think about it. If you ask the average American, raise your hand if you believe a man named Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, I, I think the vast majority of Americans would say, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that. I'm happy to to say that, celebrate that. But then if you said, okay, do you think he was uh, born of the Virgin Mary? Well, okay, I don't know. Some people put their hands down. Do you think Jesus is God in the flesh? Okay, that's kind of getting weird and like I don't understand how that works. Okay, do you think angels are present? People are like, you know, I I don't know about all that stuff. A lot of times people want to kind of leave behind the miracles of Christmas. And so what happens is at Christmas you get Christmas celebrations with the manger without the miracles. You get Christmas celebrations that include Amazon instead of the amazing, wondrous work of God. Instead, you get Christmas full of, of wish lists instead of wonder and awe and God's presence and God's power. But I think even, even those of us inside of the church, I think a lot of times we, we settle for these type of celebrations as well. I think a lot of times we settle for for just the normal Christmas. But I don't know about you after the year we've had in 2020. I need more than Amazon. I need more than the gifts on my wish list. I think we need more than than warm fuzzies drinking hot chocolate, watching light displays, right? I, I think we need More than the nostalgia and the old Christmas movies and the same old Hallmark movie plot where they get together in the end, right? I think we need more than all of that. I think we actually need the wonder, the awe, the mystery and the miracles of Christmas once again. And so what I think we need to do is I think we need to go back. Back to the Gospels, back to that very first Christmas and encounter the wonder, the awe, the mystery, the significance and the miracles of Christmas, Because when we go back and we look at the miracles and what God was up to back then, I think it gives us a glimpse into how God is still at work in our world in the midst of 2020 today. And one of the things we're going to find as we, we go throughout this Advent season looking at these miracles of Christmas, one thing we're going to discover is that the manger doesn't make sense without the miracles. Without the miracles, it's just, it's just another baby born in some random town. And we're also going to find that these miracles, they point beyond themselves. These miracles are signs pointing to the marvelous riches of God's grace. These miracles are signs pointing beyond themselves to Christ's kingdom that arrived with his birth. And so this morning, the first miracle we're going to look at, uh, maybe fittingly, is the first stop on the journey and return to Bethlehem. If you've been on the journey before, or you're a guide this year, or you wanna be a guide, we, we, can, we, we can use you as a guide. But on the journey, the first stop is what's called the Annunciation, which is where the angel Gabriel announces to Mary something very special and very unique. And this Annunciation is really the second Annunciation in Luke's Gospel, because right before this, the angel Gabriel has gone to her relative Elizabeth and told Elizabeth, hey, you're gonna have a child. And so now, soon after that, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we come upon this next scene. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up this morning. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible. And here's how Luke begins, verse 26. When Elizabeth, one of Mary's relatives, was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. And when the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored, when the Lord is with you. And she was was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and he will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. And then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be called holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. And then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And then the angel left her. I know many of you have heard this story many times, I want to invite you for, for just a moment to try, to try to go back to that very first Christmas season and place yourself in Mary's shoes. Because there is a lot of wild stuff going on here, okay? You can see why people skip over stuff like this in the Bible, because this is kind of wild. This is unbelievable stuff. I mean, if you put yourself in Mary's shoes, the first thing you see is, is what? An angel comes to her and delivers a message to her. An angel shows up on her doorstep and gives a message. And now, look, I've, I've never seen an angel. I've never seen an angel. And actually, angels throughout the Bible aren't super common. But one of the things we see is that when angels do show up, do you know what, what their first words usually are? Don't be afraid. Do you know why they say that? Because people are afraid because this isn't a normal thing that happened every day for Mary. And this is just like another Tuesday and another angel coming. No, this was wild. She didn't know what was happening. And so it it makes sense that she was confused and that she was afraid. And so the angel says, look, look, don't be afraid. So an angel shows up. That's kind of wild. And then the angel says something that's also seemingly unbelievable. The angel says, Mary, you have been chosen. You have been chosen by God. Which for Mary, I mean, a lot of scholars think she's probably 12 to 13 years old. Young woman living in a backwoods podunk town. Mary's like, well, you're coming to me? I'm chosen by God? I'm favored by God? What? This, this, doesn't, this doesn't calculate out of everybody in the world. And then as the angel says, look, you've been been chosen. The angel reveals something else. It's kind of wild. The angel says, look, the Messiah is coming. The long-awaited, anointed ruler over Israel who's going to come and rescue God's people and set everything right in the world is coming into the world. Now, Mary is a faithful Jewish woman. She she would have known the the cries and the prayers and, and the prophecies about the Messiah. Her people had waited patiently groaning and longing for a Messiah for so long. And the angel Gabriel says, look, the time is now. The Messiah is coming. And then he throws in this. He says, oh yeah, and you know your relative Elizabeth, who's probably like 60 years or older? You know her, like they've been trying to have a kid their whole life, but it never happened. And yeah, she's pregnant. She's six months pregnant. Just throws that in there. Mind blown. She doesn't know what's happening. And then, of course, the most shocking news of it all, the angel says to her, Mary, you're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and that son is going to be the Messiah. One of my good friends, uh, I don't listen to a lot of, a lot of preachers, but I, I listen to him, and I listened to his sermon this morning that he was preaching today. And he said, you know, we often think about what does it mean to be blessed by God or favored by God? Well, here we find the angel says, Mary, you're favored and blessed. Here's an unplanned pregnancy. That'll turn some categories in your mind upside down. He says, you are blessed. You are favored. You know some of the translations. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. You're going to bear a son, and he's going to be the Messiah of the world. You are chosen. And I love Mary's response. She doesn't, she doesn't say, why me? She doesn't say, why now? She doesn't ask, why here in this backwoods town? No. You know what? She asks a lot more practical question, which is probably what you'd ask. She says, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how this is going to happen, Gabriel, because you know all things, and you know that Joseph and I are engaged, but we've been trying to be faithful. We haven't had relations. I don't know how I'm going to have a son. And Gabriel says, well, this son's going to be your son, and this son's going to be God's son. Your son's going to be the Messiah. He's going to have a kingdom without end. The Holy Spirit is going to conceive this child in you. I want you to stay in her shoes for just another moment. I mean, mean, this this, this is wild stuff. I mean, you, you can see how she probably thought this was just like a dream, maybe a good dream or a bad dream. Maybe she couldn't quite figure it out at that moment. I mean, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of questions, a lot of confusion. I'm sure there was fear. There was trepidation. There was, it was overwhelming. It was life-changing. I mean, this is not just life-changing. This is world-changing news. And my guess is that the angel Gabriel could, could maybe sense what she was thinking or feeling what was in her mind and what was in her heart in that moment, which is why the angel Gabriel and his final words to her, did you notice what his final words to her were? Mary, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Would you say that with me? Nothing is impossible for God. And the reason we're talking, About Mary 2,000 years later is because she believed the angel Gabriel and she believed in a great God who was able to do the impossible. And she didn't know how it was going to work out. She didn't understand the logistics of all of this. She didn't know how Jesus was going to accomplish his mission. The angel didn't tell her if this baby was going to be like a normal baby and crawl or dance or what or walk instantly. She didn't know any of that stuff. But instead, she simply believed and she trusted God with her life. She surrendered it all to him. She believed that nothing was impossible for God. And this is how she responded to Gabriel. She said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. I love those simple words. Those are life-changing words. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And as Mary surrendered her life, as Mary believed that nothing was impossible for God, God began to work in seemingly impossible ways in her life and in the world. And so Mary, she does conceive she conceives and she gives birth to this son, which is her son and God's son. This son who is fully human and fully divine. This son who is God with us. And the son, he, he, he grows up and he grows up like, like other kids. Except for he's, he, he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's, and he's full of wisdom. And, and, and her son is growing and then he hits his 20s. And, and maybe Mary, this is the only time we see an angel visiting Mary. Maybe during his 20s, Mary's like, I don't know what's going on here. I thought the son was going to be the Savior. Maybe she was just waiting, trying to figure out how all this was going to happen. And then when he's about 30 years old, Jesus begins his public ministry. And as he begins his public ministry, he begins to do the impossible and the seemingly improbable. He begins to heal people. He begins to give sight to the blind. He begins to to speak words of control over the winds and the waves. He begins to forgive sins. And and people, their minds are blown. They don't know how to take this. And so the religious establishment and others, they say, look, we got to kill this guy. We got to take him down. And so they hang him on a cross. They execute him. He dies. But guess what? He still does the impossible. Three days later, he Rises from the dead with freedom over sin, freedom over death in his hands. He ascends into heaven where he now still to this day proclaims nothing is impossible for God. And church, this morning I have one question for you. What would your life be like if you, like Mary, truly believed not just in your head but deep in your heart? How would your life change if you truly believed as well nothing is impossible for God? Right now, the culture we're living in, a culture of despair and cynicism, it's easy to look around us and think stuff's impossible. It's easy to say, Peace, we lit the candle of peace earlier. Peace is impossible. It's easy to look at the division in our country all over the place and say, unity coming together, that's impossible. It's easy to look out at the brokenness and say, you know what, things are going to never get any better than they are now. Maybe with you and your family, it's easy to think, you know what, there's been generations of dysfunction, it's just going to continue. There's no hope for change. Maybe in your marriage you think, you know what, it's just going to be how it is. Maybe you look at your life and your habits and, and you just say, you know what, I can never change. This is just, this is just who I am. Maybe you, you have a situation in your life and you say, you know what, I, I've just resigned myself. You see, impossibility is a friend of hopelessness. But with God, all things are possible. And it takes faith. It takes big, bold faith. Faith to believe that nothing is impossible for God. But the good news about our great God is that when we ask him for that kind of faith, he will give us the faith we need to believe that nothing is impossible for him. One of the things I, I, I try to do each week is to apply my own sermons to myself. So this week, as I was thinking about this question, okay, what, what would my life be like? If I began believing this, that nothing was impossible for God, not just believing it, believing it here and living it with my hands and with my life. What, what, what would my life be like? And I, I just began to pray, and immediately two words came to mind out of nowhere. And the two words were rest and risk. And I thought, yep, that's it. For me, if I really began believing this, I, I would rest a lot more. I think I'd worry a lot less about stuff in the world. I'd realize I don't have to have control over every situation. It's not about ultimately my work and my activity. Ultimately, we serve a God who can do the impossible. It's about His work and His activity in the world. I, I think I would rest a lot more if I just really believed this, that nothing was impossible for God. But then I thought at the same time I would rest, but I would also risk a lot more. Because if nothing was impossible for God, I think, man, I'd probably share my faith more. B- believing that, that even for people who, who seem so far from God, that, that God could never change their life, I think I, I would say, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share Jesus because nothing is impossible for God. I, I think I would begin living with, with, with more generosity, with my time, with my energy, with my attention. I began thinking, yeah, I would stop playing it safe. I would start risking more for the kingdom of God, if I truly believed this word that nothing was impossible for God. But that was that was for me. Your your answer might be different. For another couple, their their answer was, okay, if I began believing nothing was impossible for God, their answer is we would begin praying bolder prayers. We would begin praying bolder prayers that are impossible to accomplish on our own. The story of Angel and Andrew a couple connected to our church and they were married in 2015 tried for a number of years to try and have a child conceive it wasn't happening they came through returned to Bethlehem and angel said she was just inspired by everything going on and she said in the prayer room she felt like God was working on her heart And she felt like God wanted her to ask the prayer team to pray for a child, for her and her husband. Now, as church leaders, you know, we get a lot of prayer requests, hurt knees, broken cars, elbow that's a little rusty. You know, those are easy things to pray for. It's a little bit different when somebody says, hey, will you pray that I have a child? It's like, oh, it's a big one. An angel, it was kind of a personal thing, talking about all that kind of stuff with your body. But she said, no. I felt like God wanted us to step out that night. And so they said, will you pray for us? So they prayed over them. It wasn't like something immediately happened. But they continued in prayer for the next year saying, God, we we can't do this on our own. We know, but nothing is impossible for you in your timing. would Would you place a child in our life? then in 2019 last year they came through and they they left a little prayer card they said, hey child's been born zachary andrew jenkins i think he's right here so for them believing this word nothing is impossible for god meant that they began praying bolder prayers but I wonder, wonder for you, your answer is going to be different this morning. For you, if you began believing and living out that nothing was impossible for God, how would your life change? I don't know exactly what that means for your life, but I know this. When we begin believing this word and living with faith like it's true, things will begin to change in our lives. The God who created the universe out of nothing the God who parted the Red Sea to save his people in the exodus the God who entered into human history as a baby in a small village to a poor couple the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead the God who did all of those things if he can do all of those things what can he not do in your life so this morning as we close our time together I want to invite you to pray for big bold faith to think about whatever seemingly impossible situation or season you're in or habit you have and to just say say God help help me in my unbelief God help me have this kind of big bold faith God help me to live this word from you that nothing is impossible for you so would you bow your heads with me and Think about that question in these moments. How would things change if you began believing this? What are those hopeless areas of your life where you've just become content? Content with the despair and the cynicism and the hopelessness. It's just become another thing in your life. What, What are those... What are those places? And I invite you to just hand those things over to God. Surrender yourself. Surrender your situations. Surrender this season. For nothing is impossible with God. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you that 2,000 years ago it wasn't an ordinary birth we thank you that you were at work in miraculous and powerful ways to rescue us, your people, and to give us a hope, give us a future, give us love, give us salvation. And and God, we pray this morning that that word that was spoken to Mary, that she believed, that's being spoken over us, God, we pray that you would help us believe this morning as well. And that you would change us from the inside out and that you would help us Be agents of change in this world where you're still at work today. We ask all of these things and we offer all of these prayers in Jesus' holy name. Amen.